this whole world is a little bit like a ton of private investment money started pouring in to lunar mining operations in 1961. There are decisions that got made in 2007 by a, a second year grad student that, that have gotten just completely like reified as this is how you solve this part of the problem. And I don't think we're anywhere near the point where that, you know, some of those things are going to blow up. Some of those some of those really fundamental assumptions about how you do things with autonomous robots uh, in a road situation, I think, are just not going to pan out. We're just we're just not at the point where we, we, we know that yet. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, Transportation Editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association and Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. And I'm going second because although I really, 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 really like today's guests, I want Ed Niedermeyer to, to introduce him so Ed can take the fall for what our guest is going to say today. Uh on that, on that <laughs> note, I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And um, yeah, as Alex um, heavily implied, uh, we do have a guest today. Uh, he's someone I'm, I'm very glad to have here. Uh, someone I really enjoy. I have spoken to actually a number of times. Um, I used to have my own podcast back when I was at The Drive and and uh, Sam Anthony, who's here uh, with us today, uh, spoke with me for that about the uh, great episode about the trolley problem, um, and uh, just someone you know, I, I you know, we would talk at Pave, just sort of always had opportunities to talk. I've always enjoyed it, and um, I think he's got a lot to say. So I'm going to shut up. Sam Anthony is the what is was the founder of Perceptive Automata. <laughs> Sam, I'm welcome to the Autodicast. What, what's up with you? What's going on? I, I'm still the co-founder. I, I used to be the CTO um, okay. uh, because Perceptive Automata, the um, the term I've been using is that it went kablooey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> figure it, that's kind of a technical term. It, it, it's it, descriptive. It, it, yeah. It, um, I mean, it, the company actually still exists. Um, my 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 CEO and partner Bruce Reading is still he's working through selling the IP, and we have people who are very interested in that. and And so there's still a little bit to go, but but we're we're done, right? Like we 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 did not close um, funding in time, and uh, and 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 we had to let our whole amazing team go, and and we're kind of we're we're cooked. Yeah. Well, before we, well, before we get into it, whoa, 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 Alex, don't let's not steamroll him. <laughs> uh, I, can we back up just for a moment, and can you just give us a couple of brief outline of like what the premise of the company was when you first launched, and and yeah, absolutely, what, and what you were able to do, and then we can get into the Kapui. <laughs> in, the, in the pre kablooey era uh we um so we built a module for level four vehicles for them to do um theory of mind reasoning and so theory of mind reasoning is is when you look at a person and you know what's in their head you know if they want to cross the street uh you know if they know you're there you can you can kind of it's this kind of kind of kind of mind reading that people do and that is 
incredibly important, important, I would say central to autonomous drive or to driving, to any driving, to human driving and autonomous driving. And we built models that, 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 that gave you that kind of intuition. Um, it plugged into the prediction or it, it sort of nominally plugged into the prediction stack in a level four vehicle and, uh, and then kind of gave you a human intuition for, for other people in the world. And and just so so people understand, I mean, because a lot of times you say, well, we, we use machine learning for, you know, to, to know what's going on in people's heads. Right. Like a lot of people say things like that about machine learning, you know, and and it's, well, yeah, well, we grabbed a bunch of data from Reddit and like, you know, played around. <laughs> no, and our, got our, some outputs that we thought looked OK. So like that's not what you guys were doing. Like we I just I feel like it's important to set this up right. And like 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 don't like. Don't hold back here. Like you guys yeah, are doing yeah. so, so, so a whole the other piece of this. Yeah. Well, and no one else can, no one can do this, right? So one of the, one of the weird things about this is I still know essentially for sure that none of the players, none of the level four players have what we were offering. And I also know for sure that they're going to need it at some point. Um, so what we could do that nobody else could do is we... We use so my training. I did my PhD actually in a psychology department at, at Harvard, and my training was all about using the techniques of um, kind of a, a subfield of experimental psychology called called psychophysics, which is all about how do you really accurately map the the physical features in the world that lead people to make it make a make a judgment and. What's good about it is that it's the, the, the most sort of careful and thoughtful way to characterize how people are looking at the world. And so what we did is we took that and we applied that at kind of massive scale to machine learning. And by doing that, really, we were able to produce models that looked at the world in a human-like way, in a way that no one else can do. Um, and so all of that, it's funny because here that here I am post Kablooey and all of that's still true, <laughs> but we actually had Sam on this show way back in 2018, which now seems like a different lifetime ago. So if you do want to go, uh, and listen to more about this company of Sam's, a little more context about what we're talking about. So we don't have to talk about for the rest of this show. We can focus on the important stuff. Uh, it's called uh, episode 96 um, and you can find it on our website. Sorry. I, I will say one of the things, one of the things I really was trying to accomplish with the company and I hope that I was, I, I was able to accomplish and it, I think the jury is still out a little bit. I have colleagues from perceptive automata and people that I know from my, from in the academic world who are psychophysics researchers who have this unbelievably important skill set for doing machine learning and they just weren't being recruited. People like didn't get it. Um, and so, and so one of the things hopefully that I've done is kind of raise the, the profile of this different kind of expertise that lets you do a different kind of machine learning. Um, and, and, you know, so we had some really amazing people doing that on our team and, and, and I think I, they, they, I believe they, I know where they're going and they've had soft landings and, and it's going to be, if the companies they're going to understand how to use them, it's going to be a huge boon for those companies. When, obviously you mentioned funding and the, the inability to close and, and it's now led to this, but when did you, I guess, first start seeing the runway getting real short and uh, kind of thinking about what 
could go wrong? I mean, is that always in the back of your mind as a founder? Or was this something that occurred by, you know, early 2022 or late 2021? Yeah. So let me think how to talk through this. So my CEO and our lead investor were, first of all, they worked their absolutely worked their butts off to get this done. Uh, and they were very, very positive about it. And, and, and I think it really kind of snuck up on them. Um, and as a consequence, it kind of snuck up on me and it really snuck up on the staff. And I think that that's, that's something that, that in all of this, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of a bummer. There are some things that are a little bit freeing, but the part that really, really was lousy is how it went down for the staff because there was a sense in which we were blindsided by it falling apart. That said, I don't know that we should have been blindsided. I mean, I think that I think that fundamentally, one of the things about having a VC-funded company, and, and I kind of knew this even though I'm a first-time founder, but is that you really have these fairly specific marks you need to hit. And if you don't hit those fairly specific marks, the path is, 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 is cloudy at best. And so, you know, that combined with 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 some other factors that were were out of our control, we just were we were in a tough spot. Like the standard metrics that investors use to understand the you know what to do with the B round of financing, we didn't have those, and we didn't have those because of where the AV industry is and our focus on the AV industry. And was it because also you reached a point, and I've seen this happen with other startups, including startups that have been on our podcast is in the beginning seed angel seed and let's say series a you get these proof of concept or um you know even um these contracts with large automakers or suppliers or other large companies it's really exciting and you have all this momentum um and then unfortunately the automotive world is a fickle bunch and converting those into something is like it's very few companies are able to do that is that all, is that the metric you're speaking of that you just weren't able to show that's what well, we what we weren't able to show is we weren't able to show real market traction i fundamentally um it, it, so that was part of it but we actually after and you're exactly right like when we raised the a we had a lot of like evaluation projects um and a lot of and a lot of you know we were we were kind of going through a process with with a number of oems and and it's totally the case uh, being a venture funded startup selling into automotive is is really, really difficult because the way automotive works, like the sales cycle for an OEM, you know, we were talking to, to one OEM and I think probably still won't name names, but we were talking to one OEM and they were like, this is fantastic. And they were, they were like the most serious. And they were like, this is fantastic. You're on our roadmap. We really want to get this in the 2029 model year. It's like, okay, so we have to make it to 2029. Okay. <laughs> and you're one customer and you're not that big a customer. Um, so we realized that. And I think the other thing we realized is that the value of what we're doing, the kind of downstream value of what we're doing is it's there for ADAS. It's there for robotics. It's existential for, for AVs. It's existential for robotaxis, right? Like that's, that's the big swing. And, and so what we did is we said, okay, well, we got to make that big swing. Um, 
And, and, and when we did that, when we sort of went to kind of, let's say our, our highest value potential customers, which is the, 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 the big AV companies, um, there, they were not yet feeling kind of enough pain <laughs> to want to work with us. And so we had this timing problem. And the way I would kind of describe this is, I, we have known for a long time that the AV companies, no AV, no one at any AV company is like, you know what I could really wish I could outsource is the part where we understand other people in the world. Like they think of that as pretty central. They all want to solve it themselves. They all want to solve it themselves without talking to another soul about it. That's what they want. They didn't want and, and they have very large prediction teams where those very large prediction teams are saying, you know, just give me another couple of years and I'll solve this. And so us coming in, the prediction team saw us as competitive and, 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 and these companies didn't want to outsource this. And we kind of knew that. And we we're like, okay, that's fine, but your vehicles aren't going to work right. What I would say is that their ability to hit their internal metrics around revenue and deployments, notwithstanding their vehicles uh, not working right, was was kind of greater than we anticipated, and so we didn't get that traction. I mean, this is a <laughs> this is a, a, a it's a fascinating situation, and I think you know what I'm thinking. There's only so, so much I can say here, but like. I don't think that this is like the, the, this general problem. Obviously, the specifics of, of what you faced was very abrupt. Things, you know, ran out of room to operate or whatever, and and that kind of forces. But but this general challenge of like kind of in some ways, you know, the need for specialized teams to be, or you know, maybe the advantages the specialized teams might have in working on specific parts of you know the problem. I mean, you know, AVs are just like these. The, these systems are just these combinations of all these different kinds of really complex specialized technologies. It makes a certain amount of sense to have specialized teams working on on different parts of them. But then, you know, I think as you're saying, there's sort of this not invented here syndrome, which is sort of it, it lasts as long as it can, and then at some point, you know, like. Well you do need the help, but like, but then those things need to line up. And so like, I, I feel like this is like a, this is one version of like kind of a broader challenge that I think a number of the, especially smaller companies in the space struggle with a bit. Do, do you feel like that's the same? I do. I do. You, I, you know, and the other thing I would say, right. Is that I just gave, I, I gave my version of it. You, you could find people at these companies who would say, no, he's wrong. We can solve it. And they didn't provide enough value. Right. Like, like, like there's a, there's a, there's another side to it. Um, but I do think there's a funny thing. This is a funny, like, first of all, as an industry, it's, it's a weird industry in that there's like, however many hundreds of billions of dollars in, and there's not a, really a product yet. Like the AV industry is, I, 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 there was a, um, a blog post recently by, by Rod Brooks, right? And Rod Brooks is like, is like one of the most, let's say two most famous, roboticist that there is and and he's been very much an autonomous vehicle skeptic and he went to san francisco and he or he lives in san francisco now and he rode in one of cruz's cars and and i i would say that he was pretty impressed like he was like there are things that are that are wrong but compared to where these were seven years ago this is a minimum viable product and and from him that's enormously high praise like i think that cruz should definitely take that as 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 really positive um, 
But also, if you think about the way product development works, and you think about the sort of life cycle of, of, of especially venture-funded uh, tech companies, a minimum viable product is where you start to try and figure out if anybody wants the thing you're building. So the AV field, from going from 2006 to now, per Rod Brooks, and I agree with him, is now they can start to figure out if they can build anything anybody wants now. And so is it going to be another, you know, seven years, 14 years? Like, like what, what are the, what are the missteps along the way? And, and so it's all just, if, you know, Ed, we were talking the other day and I was saying to you that it felt a little bit like this whole world is a little bit like a ton of private investment money started pouring in to lunar mining operations in 1961, right? It's just, it's just, it's, it's such a, a, a involved problem. And the industry got started in such a weird way, right? Like there were these grand challenges and a lot of problems got solved in six weeks by, by teams of grad students enough so to reach this sort of inflection point. And all of a sudden, just this flood of investment money came into it. And so there are like, there are decisions that got made in 2007 by a, a second year grad student that that have gotten just completely like reified as this is how you solve this part of the problem. And I don't think we're anywhere near the point where that, you know, some of those things are going to blow up. Some of those, some of those really fundamental assumptions about how you do things with autonomous robots uh, in a road situation, I think are just not going to pan out. We're just we're just not at the point where we we, we know that yet. So the lunar <laughs> landing. So are we? If it were to follow the same trajectory, are we going to then like basically get quiet for sixty years and then resurface again in terms of the AV world and be in like uh, where we are today with space and reusable rockets or do you do you think that um, that that time frame will be shorter? I, I think it's a good question. I, you know, I, I mean, I think what you described, certainly, if you look at like AI in general, that's pretty much what happened with AI in general, right? Like there was the there was the first burst of enthusiasm, and then there were kind of a series of AI winters, and then after it wasn't sixty years, it was like thirty years. After thirty years, you started to have kind of practical stuff that 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 backed into deployment. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit. I'm kind of relieved. It's like no longer my job to have an opinion on it because it's 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 a it's a it's a tough one. One of the things we've seen a lot when, let's say, you know, there was this peak hype that was happening around AVs. We were seeing companies starting just to get acquired or acquired and, you know, raising tons of money. We've since seen a lot of consolidation, but we've also seen a lot of pivots um, in, you know, I would say expanding it beyond autonomous vehicles, but also like into robotics where, Basically, now there's a lot of focus on like warehouse and logistics and ag. And, you know, it's shifting away from like carrying passengers thing. Was this something that you thought about? Like, can we can we make this pivot um, and apply it this to some other piece beyond where you were focused on or? yeah. Was no, it, it absolutely was. a little out of time? Were you just a little out of time? It, well, that was the thing. Like we, we, so by the time we got 
the market signal we needed that the timing wasn't there for the level fours. We the the pivots we would have needed to do, we just we just ran up against it, right? And I think that that's like that's that's on us. Like that's that's you know that's that's certainly I wish we'd done some of those things sooner. Um, um, and I think we could have gotten traction with them, but it but it could we have done something with the time we had? And we also had some other, like we had a lot of internal turmoil and we had, you know, a global pandemic and all kinds of nonsense. <laughs> uh, uh, you had one of those I too? That, <laughs> yes, we, we sure did. <laughs> a um, weird coincidence. Yeah. yeah Sorry, yeah. go on. Yeah, right after we moved into this amazing office downtown, actually. Oh, was, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Those things were there, you know, I think we made a decision at a certain point that we wanted to, we wanted to really sort of prove out level four and, and just, and just like test our hypothesis around level four, because we weren't, we were 30 people, right? And like 30 people, first of all, like dealing with OEMs, a 30 person company dealing with an OEM as a customer is just, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're grabbing onto the, the fin of a blue whale and holding on for dear life. You know, they're just so big and can make so many demands of you. So we had to figure out how to do things in a really lean way. And that meant that we couldn't, we couldn't sort of be diverse. We couldn't be like, all right, we're, we're going to check out, you know, we're going to do a, a, a fleet deployment with, with construction vehicles. We're going to do a fleet deployment with hospitality robots. We're going to do, a, we're going to keep pushing a level four. Right. And that, and in fact, that was our use of funds for this next round. That's what we were talking about. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. It didn't happen in time. I mean, I, so Alex has been kind of quiet. I, I kind of want to kind of. I, I definitely have questions, but um, <laughs> Alex, is there something you wanted to uh, to ask or or say at this point? Uh, I've had a couple of startups that uh, didn't make it, and a couple that did. Um, and I always go back in time. I'm like, what could I have done differently? It would have had to have been for me, like at inception, at different assumptions. So I I know how you feel. 22 years ago, I had a startup called Figure Nine. And the idea was we raised like I don't know, like $4 million, I think. And the idea was um, micromedia flash-based uh, configuration on a website that would allow you to like drag and drop your furniture in a room. And then it would auto-configure where you should be the speakers. It would auto-download like the, pro- uh, the programming for universal remote control. It would like do all these things to make it just easier to own a stereo. And uh, we had some IP and that. And um, we ran into the uh, 2000 market crash. And of course, um, like 10 years later, um, somebody else built such a thing. It wasn't, it was no longer in flash, but the big lesson and man, did I, if I go back in time, I would change this while I was working on that. um, Somebody else opened a store online called 800.com. All they sold were Harman receivers. They didn't care where you put them. They didn't care what speakers you had. They started selling and based on like 600 grand in sales or some pitiful number, Amazon bought that company. They had focused on like the minimum viable product while I focused on something really cool and amazing. And I was like 10 years <laughs> early and I lost, I lost like mm, low six figures of my own money, which I guess adjusted for inflation would be a big number. Um, I never forgot it. And ever since then, I'm like minimum viable product minimum viable product at every milestone and I've never forgotten it. 
Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I, so, so I would say, and I've been through, I, I, I worked at a startup started by some friends of mine that, that blew up in, in kind of a very similar way. Like they, in, in, um, in 2000, they, you know, it was a bunch of like 23 year olds and they had really what was kind of the first CDN, like pre Akamai. Um, but it was too, it was too big and it was too, too fast to iterate on. I'm, a, I, I, I agree with you and I don't quite know. Our ability, I got caught out by our ability to iterate. Like I, we, I actually thought pretty early on, how do we, how do we constrain this so that we can build something fast, so that we can fail fast? And 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 I, to some degree, we lost the thread. But to some degree, it's just this stuff is so hard. Like I'm not, I'm not sure I could have done that selling into the autonomous vehicle space or selling into the robotics space. Robotics is hard. Autonomous vehicles are are like I, I think it's still people don't understand how absurdly hard a problem this is. Like it's like there's there, I'm I'm not sure there's really been anything else where there's been you know the moonshot metaphor. People use the moonshot metaphor and it's tiresome. But like but like I'm not sure what else you can reach for with this because like look the, going from 2000 in 2007. The, the frontier of robotics, the absolute research frontier was if you had a robot that could deal with an object in the environment that was moving. That was the absolute frontier is like, well, can you, you know, everyone can do static objects kind of okay. They're pretty slow, but they can do them. But can you do something that's moving? And that was, that was the state of the art. And that's not that long ago. And now we're like, well, we're, we want to get something that's, you know, replicates a five-star Uber driver. Like it's, it's wild. You're, you're sort of pointing to like, you know, we know now, obviously, the hype in 2015, 2016, like, okay, like that was a hypey period. But like, you know, it's not like everyone's come back out after that, you know, peak hype period and been like, okay, now it's going to take 20 years before we have a real product here or whatever. Like, it's just been like, okay, we sort of overhyped it. But like, we're still sort of close. But then, you know, someone like you comes around working on what, you know, I think is like, Having, having spent years now working on a really, at least I think to a lot of people, it, it sounds like a really important piece of this, right? Understanding what pedestrians are doing around the vehicle. You're saying this isn't a, a problem that's that's actually been solved. And in fact, it, it sounds like, I mean, you're kind of saying that the, that the, the companies, you know, the, the, the big level four companies, like don't even understand the problem <laughs> to the extent where they would buy your company to make it so much easier. Like they don't even know how hard it is yet. And like, that's a huge disconnect, right? Like if people thought five years ago that this technology was almost here and today, like we're still at the relatively early days of, of, of full stack companies dealing with pedestrian and understanding pedestrian intent and predicting it. Like, like that's a massive, am, am I crazy? Am I taking crazy pills here? Let me rephrase that for you. Okay. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, that was a long windup. That was a long windup. Hey, 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 Sam. <laughs> um, when you uh, when you walked in the door to companies to I guess to to invest or potential clients, walk us through your pitch. What were the what were the metrics? What were the what was the ROI? What did that look like? Yeah. Well, so and it took us a long time to get to that. Right. That was one of the things that took us a lot longer than is is figuring out how to make the value prop. But the value prop was. Here are situations where we are confident that your vehicles do not behave correctly. And here is the percentage of the time that adding our signal in a very simple way will get those vehicles to behave correctly. 
and it was it was okay. Like it, it put a number on it, and I think it I think it set people up to say, well, that's not a big enough number, especially because the pr- prediction teams were were skeptical. Um, but but you know, we were like, look, we have to frame this in terms of because we no one no one. There was no one that we went to. One of the problems we had is there was no one that we went to where they were like, well, we really need good, you know, good sense of what's in people's head. And so how good is your sense of what's in people's heads? Because we had a great answer for that. Well, our sense of what's in people's heads, it's really strong that, you know, we're, we're, that's what we're expert at. But that's not how these companies think about dealing with people in the world, right? The way these companies think about dealing with people in the world is, okay, the vehicle's here. The world is like this. How are the people going to move and how is the world going to interact by the time the vehicle gets to, you know, gets from this point A to that point B? And so us coming in and saying, well, listen, you need this psychological into insight. You need this intuition. Um, we couldn't tell the story that way because that's not a, that no one was like, yes, that's what we want. Right. Um, and and actually, when you look at the world, I act there's some work. um Last, not this year's CBPR, but last year at one of the CBPR workshops, Waymo, um, uh, a Waymo researcher uh, sort of presented a paper that we got very excited about because what she they were doing there was they replaced the kind of traditional prediction stack, which is just sort of telling you where everyone's going to be with, um, without getting too jargony, a, a joint prediction planning transformer. So they had a, they had a, a network that would that would understand the conditional relationship between what the vehicle did and what the pedestrians are going to do. And that, we were like, well, that's finally the raw material where we can go to them and we can say, look, we have a piece that you need to plug into that, right? But, but, but... It's just it's this it they're they're sort of just getting there, um, and so we went in and we had hard numbers, and then the hard they would look at the hard numbers and they would say, well, I don't know, we want different hard numbers, and it didn't it didn't land. Like I'm not going to claim that it did, but but I don't I I'm, I'm not sure what we could have done that would have landed. So I mean to to, to simplify this uh, on a technical level, I mean it, it, you were sort of selling you were selling an uh, an input to the to their prediction stack rather than an output. Right, like it, so, you weren't so, so much solving the the entire prediction problem as providing a, an input that that they didn't they weren't sophisticated enough to understand how important that input is. Is that a good way of of describing the problem, like the the product market fit problem you were having? Yeah, I mean, I I, I always used to try and describe it as a new kind of sensor. Like there's, you know, you have your sensors that tell you that tell you how far away things are. You have your sensors that tell you that tell you whatever how fast things are moving and we're the sensor that tells you you know what's in people's heads um but i don't think it i think it just didn't yeah we we didn't and there were other things right and this is and this is going to the the difficulty in iterating one of the things so in addition to having to develop metrics that were metrics that we could use to talk about the performance of this um we also had to develop integration strategies where we could go in and say look these are the different integration paths and so really just getting to the point and this is kind of goes back to what, what alex was kind of appropriately pushing me on getting to the point of having having a comprehensive enough pitch where we could go in and land it and we could say look these are the steps you do and then this is the value will you'll, you'll get was just a just a just a, a an enormous amount of work like that was that was years of work okay so now that you like obviously it's always 2020 hindsight and you're really kind of like 
pitching something to companies that they didn't know they needed. And they're still at that point where they don't know what they need or just about to. What do you think is going to happen now? When will they have, when will the AV industry, like the big players and even some of the small players and, you know, the automakers oftentimes that have are either backing them or have stakes in them in some way, um, come to that conclusion? Is it going to be near term or is this going to be coming five, 10 years down the line? And if that's the case is, you know, your idea in a 2.0 form, like, can it go into hibernation and come back up again? <laughs> I, I mean, I think someone will get there, right? I'm, I'm sort of, I'm a little bit done selling it, right? Like I, if, if anyone can figure this out at this point, I'm like, good, do it. Cause, cause fundamentally one of the reason I got into this really um, and this is one of the things I sort of couldn't say when I was selling something is not particularly because I have, I didn't have, I had a ton of investment in the success of autonomous vehicles, but I could see the, what would happen if they didn't work. I could see the negative consequences if they didn't work right really clearly. And I, and I, and I did not like that one bit. And so it was really about how can I make these things, how can I help these things work right? Because I'm going to have to live in the world with these vehicles. And if they don't work right, you know, I, like I'm on pedestrian most of the time. I ride my bike a lot. And so it was really like, if I'm on the road with these things, I want it to work right. right? So, so at this point, you know, it's uh, my, uh, my insights for what they're worth are, 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 are free now. Um, in terms of when it's going to happen, it, so I'm going to I'm going to pick on Cruise, and the reason I'm going to pick on Cruise is not because I, I think Cruise is actually doing really really good work. I think their deployment in San Francisco is a real advance. Like I I agree with Rod Brooks, but if you look at what they're doing now, it seems pretty clear to me that their deployments are driven by hitting internal metrics around revenue growth. So they've shifted to where. Their their metrics that that you know they and the the money people and their funding sources are using to understand how this is going are are revenue growth with the service. So their revenue growth has gone from you know zero to something, right? So the the rate of revenue growth in the past year since before they launched revenue service to revenue service is is that's great. It's it's you know infinite, but. Um, um, I think what's going to happen with those vehicles, and again, you can kind of get this from Rod Brooks's post, is that people are going to try them, and they're going to think they're pretty cool, and maybe they're going to ride them a couple times because it's kind of this fun sci-fi thing, but the vehicles aren't going to work well enough to be practical transportation, and it's going to be hard to get past that, and so the revenue growth at a certain point is going to asymptote, and it and and. You can solve that in the near term by deploying in more places. So you deploy more places, you get more revenue. You can solve that, um, you know, in the near term by 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 hyping it up and talking about how they're better. There's a you know there's a huge pool of curious new users to kind of get through. But at a certain point, it's you're going to kind of hit the marker where okay, these have to be useful as as practical transportation, and I don't think they're going to be there. And I think that they're going to, I think the revenue is going to flatline. And, for, and from my perspective, that's when you're, they're going to start feeling the pain. And then that's when you're going to see the next sort of real push for, for what's the, what's the step function? What's the sort of next big innovation that can, that can get us there. I mean, what, what besides what you were working on at, at your company, which is t- totally makes sense, you know, obviously 
why would why would why would anyone devote you know especially someone smart and talented like yourself devote a lot of time to work on something you didn't think was going to provide that kind of impact right um what else out there might might provide that kind of impact is it is is it all in pedestrian are there other areas like like what else might be something that that they may have to to kind of get get real about that maybe they aren't they aren't being as real as they need to right now about I mean, I think in general, the behavior, getting the behavior right is going to be really hard, right? And so, and so I focused on pedestrians and, and one of the things I sort of think about a lot, um, and I'm, I'm always, like, I think one of the things that was weird about us and one of the things that I think is, is, is kind of lacking in the industry is we were always thinking about these vehicles from kind of outside the car, right? So like, what is it like to interact with these, these vehicles? And and I think that you need to think about that because one of the things about AI, right? So take an autonomous car as an AI system. An AI system, it's in some ways a user interface. So so let's say so I have my my desktop here. My desktop has is you know it has a it has a, a user interface. The user interface has folders it has files it has windows so 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 it has kind of a metaphor behind it and that metaphor is it's a desk it's and it's kind of abstracted and whatever and people learn their way around it when you're designing a user experience you know what is the central metaphor you're using is really important with ai and with autonomous cars the central metaphor is a person and so an autonomous vehicle, the metaphor you're offering people is this is this is think of this like a person driving a car. If that works, it's awesome because then it just like seamlessly fits into the world. It's like, oh, there's, you know, there are cars that are being driven by people and there are cars that are being driven by robots and the robots are a little bit more considerate, but they're they're fundamentally fairly comprehensible. In practice, what you get is is behavior that's kind of inexplicable, right? Like you get you get you know that you get frozen robots, you get weird interventions, you get stopping at strange times, you get vehicles that can't pull over. What happens when you have that stuff is that you break the metaphor, and so for people who are around these vehicles, as soon as you break the metaphor, they're like, oh wait. That's not like a human driving a car. That's some other weird thing. I need to figure out how to behave around it. And when that happens, people start doing weird stuff. There was a there was a Wired article recently, and it was about it was about they sort of they sort of uncovered a situation where a bunch of cruises like froze. They like lost their five G, and the teleoperation couldn't get in, or something like that. And, and they froze, and the, and they were talking to this guy who was there, and he was like, "Yeah, I was stuck." And then I eventually just drove over the median to get around him. And, you know, I, good for him. But on the other hand, if we have people driving over medians all the time, it's going to be pretty chaotic and weird, right? So, so how do you do this? How do you build these so that they're comprehensible? So that when you deploy them at scale, you're not, you're not causing, you know, huge amounts of, of chaos on the road. I think that's a, it, what we were offering is part of the solution to that, but it's not a complete problem to solution to that. And I think it's a big problem. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I'll just say, I mean, you know, I've, I, I see a lot of folks who are um, exactly as you say, pedestrians, cyclists, advocates for those kinds of modes. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of things that go into this, including, you know, sort of assumptions that AVs are, are cars, right? There's a lot of, of a piece of it, but there's this very reflexive distrust, dislike of AVs that goes on among people who, for whom, you know, pedestrians, uh, being a pedestrian or cyclist is their main way of getting around um, or something they want to see more of. And, and um, I think you're right. I, I, I think, 
you know, there's a there's obviously a, a you know safety issues involved with this and just functionality things with you know making sure that prediction is good and, and making sure you have a product that you can actually use. But I think beyond that, there is absolutely a, a public perception element to this, almost a communications element to this of you know, yeah, like how is it? How are you presenting this this thing, this technology, this robot, this whatever it is? People think of it as a car, you know, like like there's a lot of confusion about that. If you're presenting it one way and people's perception of it in, in the real world, their encounters with it, their experience with it, the real world doesn't match the perception that you're trying to put out that way. And it could be, it could be, as you say, like that, that fundamental metaphor of this is not behaving like a human, or it could be on in, in a lot of other ways. Um, that's a, that's a big deal. And I will say, you know, when, when we were trying to address some of these issues, like at, at PAVE, just to try and get, you know, not change anyone's mind about this, just trying to make sure people are working with the, with the facts, like the work that you guys were doing and your guys' ability to come in and talk in a granular way about like what it means for a robot to really interact with and be safe around people. Like, like no one did that better than you guys did. And, um, I, I think there's just like a, as you say, a confluence of, of aspects to that. Um, it's not just a safety thing. It's, it's absolutely a, a perception and trust thing. So what are you going to do next? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, um, Ed was, Ed was, Ed was saying I should, I, I was like, maybe I'll become an influencer. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be an influencer. I, 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 I like I was saying earlier, there are things about how these vehicles work that I really care about. And if I can be part of changing the, you know, continuing to change the conversation and continuing to make the point that how these vehicles interact with humans is a huge, huge deal is, and is just going to be, is it just has all these downstream implications. Then, then that seems like a worthwhile use of my time. I, I mean, I'm a little bit, you know, the, the question I, I know, you know, other founders that have, that have, that have, that have, that have had gone through the Kablooey that, uh, that have, that have started other companies and maybe I'll get there. Um, it was, you know, it was rough and I'm still, it's a little bit like, um, like there was like a big Hollywood explosion and it kind of blew me into the air and I'm still kind of flying through the air in slow-mo. And, and so I haven't really, like, I've had some time to think about what just happened, but I haven't really landed yet. Uh, and so, and so I don't know, but in the meantime, I think that, that since I'm not selling anything right now, um, it gives me, you know, without pissing off people who I like, who I think are doing good work and are, and are, and are, and are, and are, you know, and are thoughtful about things. I, I, it gives me a little bit of freedom to speak a little bit more freely about some of the things that I think that are, 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 are issues and some of the things that I think that people don't really talk about in the AV world because everyone, everyone's really concerned about, you know, holding their own, everyone has their own, their own kind of approach to this. There's a lot of secrecy and I think there's secrecy both around protecting trade secrets and also because like the, the sort of, the actual reality of how these vehicles work right now is weird. Um, and, and there's kind of a risk if people, if people see that weirdness that they'll, they'll interpret it in a, in a uncharitable or incorrect way. But for me, I can kind of, you know, I can say what I see and it, and it, the, the idea of doing that at least for a while sounds pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I know, you know, my, my feelings about this, but I mean, the more, the more sort of influencers and, and people out who, who understand this stuff and are, are helping the public try and understand uh, especially people with with the background like yours, um, we we could use a hundred a hundred Sam Anthony's out there, um, 
uh, it w- would be amazing. So funny. Uh, but but I, yeah, one one would be amazing too. So yeah, definitely want to encourage that. And and who knows, maybe it'd be a good way to like you know kind of process some of this stuff and, and figure out what you want to do next. Right. That, that would also be my pitch. So you, um, Kirsten, give the man a column. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say you, we all kind of touched on a point that, you know, I'll try to be succinct here, but there we've talked about this before. Alex Ned is that there's the Atonicast has kind of like been shaping the AV culture a bit. It doesn't seem it, it's sort of, a group of really competitive, a lot of excitement around things, but then a lot of secrecy because of the competitiveness and the, you know, seeking of talent in that whole game. Um, and as a result, I think that issues like this and certain conversations just don't happen. <laughs> um, so, for example, what um, Sam, you were just talking about, which is the human interaction between robot and human on the road and just in everyday life is not just a factor. It will literally shape how entire business models and it will mean the difference between a company existing or not. Um, because if they fail to do that, very bad things at, you know, will happen um, or it'll just be awkward for everyone. Um, so in your keeping that in mind, like if you want AV, the culture around AV is to do one thing. Um, what would it be? What, what do you just want to see more conversations about the human robot interaction or is there something specific you get, you get to choose one. (laughs) I mean, I think that I think it's going to be super, super hard. There's, there's a huge amount of downside risk to the level of secrecy that exists right now. So questions about, you know, at every turn, questions about how these vehicles work, when they don't work, how they fail, what it's really going to be like, you know, so so for instance, if you ask people who are in a comms role at the, the level four AV company, if you say, so are these vehicles, you know, are they going to, are they going to drive, um, just as quickly and comfortably as a human, they'll say, well, right, that's the goal we're going for. It's, it, is it really going to be like that? Does anybody really think it's going to be like that? Is that really the engineering goal? Uh, are there infrastructure changes that people think are going to happen and what's the cost of that? So there, and, and, and also, you know, everybody's stack, and I understand this, everybody's stack they're keeping private, but that means that the, the sort of, the sort of, the sort of, community network effects that you get uh uh in a real research community just don't really exist for autonomous vehicles like the there there aren't the 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 scholarly work such as it is is like one or two uh workshops attached to attached to other conferences there's not really you know the 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 most important work is is not only getting done at private companies but getting reduplicated at different private companies who are who are are you know bound and determined to not tell anyone else what's going on and I just think the scale of this problem you're gonna it's it it's gonna cause all kinds of weird and broken downstream effects and and so I wish there was a way even just to be like look this is how these fail now like so again to pick on Cruz, the SF, um, the SF, the Transit Association is really insistent that the cruises can't pull over to the side to the side of the road, 
And Cruz is, is like, oh, no, I, they totally can. Well, so there's openness, oh, you know, would help there. But but I mean, it's not going to happen. But anyhow, this that was like a that was like you got a, a wish with the genie thing. Right. Right. Well, well I, I mean, I will say I, you're not the only person who works in this space or, or you know, is, is deeply embedded in this space, let's say, uh, who is who who's saying these kinds of things. You're just kind of the only person who's saying them publicly right now and i'll say like for me personally and don't don't you dare like if you're in comms in this in this space or whatever don't try and like find people who you think talk to me and like don't waste time on this because the people who are saying this to me are doing it with with the companies and the industry's best interests at heart but more people have been like saying to me over the last three four five months that like they are concerned about some of the, these things that you're talking about, sort of the, these gaps between um, perception and reality, and 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 where we really are, and and um, and how and how things move forward, and you know, some of that is just going to happen when you're working on a hard problem, right? Like you do get to points where it just becomes hard, and it's hard to be optimistic, and and so like I, I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to like, you know, create a panic about this. I, I'm sure you don't either. Again, I think we all share the same sort of core interest, but like. You know, I think the audience probably deserves to understand that, like, you're not alone on this. You're not one person who you, you just happen to, as you kind of alluded to, you're in a position where you can at this moment sort of just. That's, that's, that's the key, though, is that most people working in the space are not free to talk freely. And so yeah. as a result, it is. Um, and, and you can say this about any competitive industry. So it's not like I'm picking on ABs. But it's one thing for us to have private conversations with people talking about their concerns and then not getting out in the light of day. And so what's happening is when incidents occur, that's when conversations start. And that's not really helpful in a lot of ways because it's very specific and it's a little bit like red siren sensationalism when it's actually like much bigger, broader, widespread problem than like a bunch of cruise vehicles getting stuck or, uh, you know, an incident with Wayne or whatever company it is. Um, it is beyond that headline, but the only opportunity really to talk about it is when those things occur because no one wants to talk about it freely or if they send an anonymous letter to California DMV. And so that's and, not and really then, you know, helpful for the industry. Like the skeptic, then the skeptics, all they hear what they, they're like, is the industry completely oblivious to these things? Are we, you know, we see these incidents happen and are these incidents incidents happening in an industry where, where, you know, they don't, they don't understand where these things are. And it's not like that. Like this is, this is, this is, there's a pretty deep understanding, I think, and a pretty, pretty broad understanding of, of, of what's going well and what, and what isn't. And when you lack openness to that, then it, it, when you don't have openness around that, then you end up on the one hand, on the one side, you have the hype. And on the other side, you have people who don't really know what's going on, but can sort of see things and are like, wait, there seems like there's more going. It just, it just creates an environment where, where, building trust, which is, you know, the, the, the absolute central brand question around AVs is hard. And like, as much as you might not want to admit, in fact, as much as every major full stack company in the space would hate to ever admit that they've ever put something, you know, less than perfect or safe or whatever on the road, right? Like to build trust, you have to show progress to show progress. You have to show 
imperfection and you have to show, right? Like, like you have to, you have to start somewhere. And if you don't want to ever like be vulnerable with that, like we've put this, this technology out on the road when it was, you know, at a certain place and like, it just, and I get like, it's hard to do it. And like, like this is all stuff that's hard to be vulnerable about for companies that are in this position with all this money raised and this poker game that's going on between them all and all these, these different things. But, but I mean, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think the only, there is only one solution to the problem. And that is that the industry just has to figure out some, you know, ways to be more transparent in a kind of proactive and like routine way. Um, But I, I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on, on how to do that. Oh, I have so many. <laughs> you'll see. You'll well, see that, that's, a, that's a whole other show. We should we should have you come back and Absolutely. and give the list. When you've been writing, Sam, right? You 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 said have, you've, got yeah. a, you've got a draft, and um, so that's that's awesome. Um, no, I have a Substack, man. Appperceptive.substack.com. It has a whole one newsletter. I guess they're not blog posts, newsletter, whatever they're called. Spell that. Spell that out for the audience so they can subscribe. Apperceptive. A p p e r c. A P and then perceptive P E R C P T I V. Yeah. Uh, consider me subscribed. Yeah. <laughs> um, we will have you, we should have you back on to give an update maybe later this year. Once you uh, are out of the air and free fall and landed and, <laughs> and, and maybe have some thoughts, but I think it's um, a couple of things you brought up are really interesting and a good reminder to the industry because otherwise the conversation is, or bringing up these issues are really left to people like myself to write about them, um, which certainly I'm here to do, but you know, it, it should, it should, uh, it shouldn't all fall on journalists. It should also fall in the industry. So we'll see if they wake up to that. Um, and in the meantime, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Hopefully I didn't burn too many bridges with with the with, uh, with Alex certainly. <laughs> no, come on, what? Come on, please. Cool. Yeah, no, it's I me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, Alex is fine. Um, okay, well, thank you again, Sam, for joining us, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>